I am Dave Mitchell. Also, I serve with Laura on staff here, often referred to the, as the old guy. And uh, so it's good to be able to serve with you uh, this morning. We're in the book of Judges, and I uh, just want to let you know, uh, kind of a little heads up. Um, yesterday, you know, was Valentine's Day. So you were probably with the person you love the most, right? I know I was. I spent all day yesterday with Ron Rogowski. Um, <laughs> We went out to Palm Springs, and we were part of the tour to Palm Springs, and he and I, and about 7,000 other people, we rode our bicycles in our group for 100 miles. It was a century ride. I said it was 100 miles, and according to my GPS, it was actually 101 miles, so I take issue with some of their false advertising. But we had an opportunity to ride that, and so I am thoroughly fatigued this morning. And if I fall asleep in the middle of my message, I want one of you to come on up here and finish up. Can any, any volunteers? We have the subject this morning of pride. And so I thought it might be easier if we just kind of cut to the chase. And the chase is this. How many believe that pride is wrong? That's most of us. How many of you will stop being proud and just do better? Well, just a few of you, so I guess I really need to preach it then. So I was hoping we'd all just agree that it's wrong and we shouldn't do it and we'd just stop and just uh, go to Mimi's and uh, get it over with. (laughs) Anyways, that's a very capricious and casual way to begin a very important topic because it's going to get heavier as we go on. So we're going to get in some meat. It's going to be a little gristly and it's going to be tough. So let me pray for us. Father, we bow our hearts before you that you would teach us to be the people you want us to be. God, as we go through your book, the book of Judges, as we go into Judges chapter 9, as we encounter a man who is a terrorist, according to the standards we have today, Abimelech, God, you gave to him, gave to us his life so that we could not just read through it and be horrified but that we'd read through it and say, Lord, is there any aspect of Abimelech in us? Help us, God, to see the insights that your Spirit would call us to, that we would walk the walk that you've called us to be and serve you in a way that is honoring to your name. And that if there is any element of pride in any of us this morning, whether in myself or the rest of us here, God, you would root it out. You'd shine your light upon it and that we would be the people you want us to be. So guide us, Lord, as we journey together in a tough passage, and we look to you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the book of Judges, and the theme is overcoming. And we're going to introduce ourselves to this fellow by the name of Abimelech. And as we go to look at Abimelech, the thing that came to my mind is ISIS. ISIS is over there today in various portions of that same area of the world, not per se in Israel, but in the surrounding countries, and they are brutalizing thousands and thousands of children, men, and women. One of the latest is Kayla Mueller that you see on the screen there. She is sort of in our second hometown, if you will, Prescott, Arizona, where we spent a lot of summers. And she was killed just about a week ago. She had written, I remember Mom always telling me in the day uh, that uh, one really has to trust in God, is what she's saying, and have surrendered myself to Him, the Creator, because literally there is no one else. And you face, your, you, you face these people that are like ISIS. We don't literally have ISIS here, but we have people who are like ISIS. We don't have 
Abimelech here, but we're going to find people who are like Abimelech. And so I want you to understand who Abimelech is. He's a king over this little portion of the land of Israel. Not over the entire land, but they had little, little fiefdoms, little, little kingdoms that they would rule over. And who is Abimelech? Abimelech is the son of Gideon. Last week we learned about Gideon. Gideon is this man that we sort of exalt, Hebrews chapter 11, hall of faith, great faith, believed in the power of God. He had his inadequacies and his failings and his doubts, but God still used him in a mighty way. Gideon, however, in Judges 8, did not necessarily finish well. He started out fairly poorly. God blessed him with power, and then he just had a moment there at the very end where he kind of got into idolatry. He married too many women. He had lots of wives. Most of us don't do well with one, but he had lots of wives. And with all those wives, he had 70 sons. And to have all those women and all those sons, that wasn't good enough. So from his home in Orphrah, he would travel to Shechem, where we're going to be this morning. And in Shechem, he had a concubine. We should refer to it as a concubine. This is like an affair, having an affair on the side, along with all the other women. And this concubine that he had in Shechem, that she probably lived in her parents' home, and he would come over every so often and just have his way with her, and they had a child, and that child's name is Abimelech. So Abimelech is the star of the show this morning as we look, and Abimelech is half Canaanite, and he's half Jew. And so he wants to rule in power. He wants to, he wants to become the most powerful man in his little region of the nation of Israel. And again, here's the thing. When you go to Old Testament passages like Judges, and particularly go to Judges chapter 9, we're going to read some horrible stuff there. It's just terrible. The original ISIS is Abimelech. So it's at that par, that level. And we're going to be tempted to say, well, I I would never do that. The point is not what I do, what Abimelech did. Here is the point. The timeless principle that comes from it are there aspects of his life that I am also pursuing. And we want to root those out. We want to discover them. So we're going to look at overcoming pride. And you have an outline that's in your bulletin today. And if you didn't get one, I would encourage you to use that because I want to do something at the very end that I think you're going to find beneficial as we spend some time on it. But let me get into Judges chapter 9 and some heavy sledding to go through here in this particular chapter in Judges 9. It's one of those chapters that if God never put it in the Bible, we wouldn't miss it, but there it is. And so therefore God says, I've got a lesson for you. It's up to you to learn from it what I want you to learn. And the thing that I learned about Abimelech is the damage and the destruction of a proud life. We see, first of all, the timeless principle that Abimelech had a false value system. And that's one of the ways you know you're living in pride, when you have a false value system. And here are the areas of his false value system. Let me read in chapter 9, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair rack in front of you. I encourage you to use it to follow along. You'll really understand it a lot better. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is the other name for Gideon. It means Baal contends because Gideon tore down all the Baals worshiping in his father's household. So he then acquired this name. That is the name they typically would call him in the latter days. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives. Here you see, this is the the concubine of Gideon, this other woman, if you will. And spoke to them and to the whole clan of the house of his mother's father, saying, 
Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you, that 70 men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, or that one man rule over you, and also remember that I am your bone and your flesh? And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the learning and the hearing of his leaders Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our relative. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal-Beareth, from with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Orphrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam of Gideon, 70 men on one stone. And Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. Seventy sons. Abimelech massacres 70 of his half-brothers. It's just stunning. And I read a passage like that, I was, oh, thank the Lord I'm not like Abimelech, because, man, I would never kill even one other man, let alone 70. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the clear. I'm not in the clear, and I hope maybe some of us are not being delusional and thinking we're in the clear, because what I see within those passages are these timeless principles. I didn't do what he did, but I may have aspects of what he did, and they are these. The false value system of Bimelech is that he had value because of his position in life. He wanted to be king. His name means my father is king, and he therefore wanted to become king and have his little, as I call a fiefdom, this little, this little re- region around Shechem. He wanted to rule over that as king, and so he comes, and it's what I achieve, who my family is. You are bone and flesh, so he goes to Shechem. These people are related to him. He's half Canaanite. He's half Jewish. So everybody's going to win in this. The Jews in Shechem, the Canaanites in Shechem. Yeah, he's, he's one of us. We don't want Gideon's 70 sons. Abimelech says, I want you to have me. So he pushes himself upon the people and he becomes king. And the value system of an Abimelech is that I have value by what? By this position in life. What I achieve. If you take away what I have achieved, you take away my position in life, you don't recognize the position of my attainment. If you don't see that, then I feel very devalued. And I will do all that I can to maintain that value. The second value that we see in Abimelech's life is of his possessions. You notice that he uh, then down in verse 4, and they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Berberith, from which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. I gain value by those possessions that are in my life. Those things that I have somehow acquired over life. The things that I have accrued to. Whatever my bank statement is. Whatever my salary paycheck looks like. I get value. Or if I'm only making minimum wage, I have less value than someone else. It can work in the reverse. It's not wrong to have small pay or large pay. It's wrong when the value of my life is based upon the amount of pay, be it small or large. And if I have value because of how much I have in the bank account or how many people I rule over, then I've got a proud pride problem. It comes out of pride because I value myself and I want others to value me based upon those achievements. And then the third value is the value uh, that is referred to of power. And they gave him, Esther, in verse 5, and then he went to his father's house and there he slaughtered 70 of his half-brothers. Power. Those things and those individuals that I have control over. The power that I am able to exude. 
Those things give me value. That's Abimelech. And to the degree that I operate under that kind of a value system where I think that unless I have achieved and got the raise and got the promotion or got the best grade in the class, the GPA, the best school that I've been admitted to for graduate work or postgraduate work, unless those things are really at work in my life, I don't have the value that I think I should have. Then I'm working on a proud basis. I'm not working on God's basis. God says, I give you anything that you will need. And I just want you to know you have value regardless of those things. Position, possessions, and power. Those are the value systems of a proud individual. The other thing that I noticed about this particular man, Abimelech, and the, and the timeless principle that comes from this horrendous story is his inability to be taught. He is unteachable. Proud people are unteachable. Notice in verse 7. Now when they told Jotham, the one brother that escaped, the slaughter on the stone that took place, He went and he stood on the top of Mount Gerizim. He lifted up his voice and he called out. So he preaches this message probably in a rock cliff. And he just launches his voice into this little valley area where the men and women of Shechem and Abimelech could hear him. So he begins to preach. He preaches this parable, which is a little bit hard to understand. Let me try to explain it. He says in verse 7, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. And the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go to wave over the trees? And then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. And the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. And it says, But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new uh, uh, wine and uh, which cheers God and men and and go to wave over the trees. And finally, all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, my fire come, uh, may fire come out of the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, boy, what in the world is going on there? Here's, here's what Jotham, the lone escaped brother, preached to Abimelech. He preached this. He says, imagine that you are, first of all, as you see on the slide there, you are this olive, this uh, fig tree. And you're able to produce all this sweetness that comes out of the figs. And you say, fig tree, you rule over us. And the fig tree says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too much into what I'm doing here. I am producing those things that people need, and I'm not in a place where I can show you that way. So then you say to the olive tree, olive tree, you're producing all this beautiful oil. It's great. Would you come and rule? No, I can't do that. I am so much into what I am doing, producing what I am producing. I can't possibly stop that so that I have authority and rule over you. And they go to the vine, the grapevine. Grapevine, would you rule over us? He is saying this parable. The grape signs, no, I, I am making grapes. I am producing ultimately wine, and it cheers people's hearts. I can't stop what I'm doing either. And then he goes to the bramble bush. The bramble bush is a tumbleweed. And that's why, in case you had wondered why this is up here, this is a bramble bush or a tumbleweed. Isn't this the biggest tumbleweed you've ever seen in your life? Uh, Ryan Rail got that. I don't know where he got it. I don't even know how he got it here. I hope he takes it away after we're done. But uh, in any case, it's a huge tumbleweed. And it's like these, uh, the trees that come to them. He says, we want you to rule over us. So they, they go to a tumbleweed. 
He says, Tumbleweed, would you rule over us? And the Tumbleweed says, I'll rule over you. You come and hide in my shade. Can you imagine what it's like? Can you hide in the shade of a tumbleweed? No. Even though a tumbleweed is big and impressive, you look at it and say, wow, it's a giant tumbleweed. You know what most of the tumbleweed is? Vacuous air. Hot air. If you're a proud person. And here's Jotham's message to the men and women of Shechem and Abimelech. Abimelech, you're nothing but a tumbleweed. You may think that you have the sweetness of a fig tree or the richness of the olive tree or the wine of a vine, but you are nothing but a tumbleweed. And your position, your power, your possessions, in God's eyes, what you have achieved, your value system, you think that's so spectacular? You think that's so wonderful? You think everybody should applaud you how great that is that you've achieved all that? Well, for God's sake, He says it's nothing but a tumbleweed, a bunch of thorny, vacuous air that with one strike of a match in fact I think I will light it and let it just had to make sure you're still listening if I lit that wouldn't that be the Sunday you'd never forget wouldn't that be great even though they would shut us down the fire department but you put a match to that thing and it's gone in an instant it's gone in an instant right pride And the value systems of attainment of pride, position, possessions, and power, they're gone in an instant. God says, that's not my value system. I value you for who you are. Not your position, not your power, not your possessions. Never forget that. And so he says, you are Abimelech this. And the point of this area of overcoming pride is Abimelech's failure to be taught proud people he heard the message he's warned you're going to pay a price for your pride Abimelech that's Jotham's message to him you're going to pay a price because you are worthless in what you're achieving but Abimelech was not to be taught proud people are unteachable people so much so that if you're sitting here thinking boy I wish my husband was here he needs to hear this message It may be you that God says needs to hear the message. Because I can think of a lot of proud people that I'm preaching to. And every time I study this passage all throughout this last week, it was like God says, no, Dave, you're the one. You need this. Because it's so easy to find somebody else. Pride is this terrible sin that is an invisible sin. I think I can spot pride in someone else, but it's painful to find it in my own life. And God says, I want you to understand the value of things achieved through pride. Nothing but a tumbleweed. Pride is also another timeless principle, a very deceptive thing that sometimes allows us to have a sense that we're getting away with it. And I just want to bring this out very quickly. In verse 22, I was just intrigued by how long Abimelech ruled over them as a tumbleweed. Now, Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years, three years. Can you imagine what it's like to be some of Gideon's family? One of Gideon's wives, the multiple wives, and they've lost their sons. Their sons have been massacred by Abimelech. Imagine what it's like to be in Orpha and look over at Shechem and realize their sons are dead. And Abimelech's still in charge. 
Abimelech's still ruling. Abimelech seems to be getting away with it. Abimelech somehow is succeeding in this terrible, horrendous, tragic, terrorist lifestyle. Why is he continuing to get away with it? For three years he rules. And it's like God says, just remember, there is a period of time where proud people do achieve. They do have position. They do have possessions. They do have this sense of power and control. And sometimes they handle it such a brutal way. And we say to ourselves, why do they continue to get away with it? Why does ISIS continue to get away with it over there in the Middle East, if you follow that? Why does your boss get away with it? Why do your parents get away with it? Why is it that they've never come and confessed that thing they did to you when you were a child? Why do they seem to get a pass? And there's something happens in pride where God's timing is not ours. And He allows an appearance of success for three years with no repercussions, no consequences. And that's the danger of pride. We think, I'm living this life. I don't really see the pride in me, but okay, if you say I've got it, okay. But I'm doing okay. That's dangerous. To somehow get along okay, thinking there are no consequences. Because there are, as we will see. Because God will confront pride in His own time. He will come alongside. That's why we see in verses 23 and 24 these words. Now God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, so that the violence done to the seventy sons of Jeroboam. See, God never forgets. God never forgets. So the violence is three years later. So the violence done to the son, seventy sons of Jabal or Gideon might come. And their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. And on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers, the accomplices of Shechem. He says, God says, I haven't forgotten about that. I still remember that. I'm still going to do something about it. And I'm beginning to act. And what God does, he sends this evil spirit into the community of Shechem. And he stirs the community of Shechem into conflict. He says, I don't want you to think that somehow it's okay. It's obviously, we know, of course, 70 men. Are you kidding? Of course that's not okay. But maybe in my own life where I'm somehow working out of this proud basis of what I have achieved and what I control and what I own, that somehow I feel like I am just maybe just a little better than someone else because I've achieved that. And God says, yeah, you're getting along okay. But then conflict comes. And I don't know. Let me just throw out something to speculate. This is just me saying this. This isn't God saying this. So if you want to not listen, you're welcome to. But I have to wonder this. God sent an evil spirit to the people of Shechem. And what happened? Conflict. They're battling each other. There's no peace. There's turmoil. There's disruption. I sometimes wonder, is it possible that God still operates that way today to a certain degree? Is it possible that when we deal with people who are having a conflict in their marriage that it's just out of control? I mean, we have conflict. All of us, I have conflicts with joy. And usually it's something I'm not doing properly, candidly. But when there's this ongoing, pervasive relationship that is built on conflict, or between a parent and a child, or in a place of business where partners aren't able to work together, and there's constant turmoil and conflict... Is it possible? As God did it here, it's certainly possible. Is it probable? Is it likely? 
Is God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem? Is it possible that God's trying to get our attention, my attention? Because I'm not getting along with my siblings. I'm not getting along with this portion of my family. I'm not getting along with this portion of my neighborhood. The club. These people I used to get along with so well, and now there's a brokenness. Is it possible that God's shooting up a little flare? So you know what? It's time to work on that. Because there's conflict there. And God's drawing us into something to bring peace. And I'll show you how that works in just a minute. The second thing that I noticed about this is that my pride drives me. It drives me to control those things that I fear, fearing to lose. I don't want to lose those. And I will pay any price and I'll make those in my family and my friendships pay any price so that I do not lose those things that I believe are properly mine, position, power, and possessions. And so he goes into this conflict. And let me just summarize what happens here next. There is this conflict to maintain control of his possessions. In verse 25, The men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who reigned, passed them by along the road, and it was told to Abimelech. What's happening is this. Shechem was a significant city in those days. Shechem was the place in Genesis chapter 12 where God visited with Abraham and God gave to Abraham and the Jewish people the land of Israel. Not all of it is occupied that God has given to them. There's still more that is Israel's land. So God met Abraham in Shechem in Genesis 12. So Shechem is a significant city religiously. It's a significant city in terms of finance and commerce because it's in Shechem where the people would pass through. In order to go from this location to that location to bring your products, your crops, you'd have to pay a tariff or a tax to Abimelech. So Abimelech, he, he controls the routes. It's, it's like a toll road. In order for you to get through there, you, you can't use the fast pass. You've got to pay on the spot. And so what's happening is they collect the taxes on that route these ne'er-do-well bad people were coming along and they were stealing the taxes. They were shutting down the flow of money. Abimelech was losing money and he was losing control. He was losing prestige because people were noticing Abimelech's weak. These people are taking his money and he's losing his possessions. And so you do all that you can to maintain that which you have built up when it's built on a proud heart. Now there's nothing wrong with accruing and accumulating. That's that's not what I'm saying. But when my value of life is built upon what I've accrued and what I've built up, and I will fight and I will bring conflict in our marriage and a friendship and a partnership and a business and a neighborhood, and I will fight to the death to be able to get that and keep what I believe I have properly achieved and it's mine, then there's a problem. And that's what Abimelech was dealing with. The other area that was happening was this uh, threat to his position and power. And just to summarize, 26 through 49, it is this. A man named Gael rose up in power in Shechem. And Gael says, I'm not going to allow Abimelech to be king anymore. I'm going to fight him. So he fights him. Abimelech kills and destroys the army of Gael. And then Abimelech comes into Shechem. And he spreads salt everywhere. And it's a sign to say that you are now sterilized. You have no uh, capacity to grow or produce crops. I have taken control. And at the very end, as the people see Abimelech and his worthless army come marching in, here's what Abimelech does. 
Abimelech, outside of Shechem, begins to cut down trees and branches. He tells all of his worthless army people that he bought for, for those shekels, he says, you do the same. So they bring the wood into the city of Shechem. And what happened is the people went into in those cities, they would have these towers of refuge. And so if an enemy comes, they have at least the tower of refuge to go into. You still will see it in some parts of Europe to this day. And they would congregate in that tower of refuge because they couldn't get to them. And here's what Abimelech did in verse 49. And all the people also cut down each one of his branch and followed Abimelech and put them on the inner chamber and set the inner chamber on fire over those inside so that all the men of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. A thousand men and women are burned to death in this tower. Think back a few days ago, the Jordanian, one Jordanian pilot burned to death. This is the same Middle East. And the same kind of reign of terror, mass destruction. This is Abimelech, the son of Gideon. My goodness, if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, Lord, I knew I had a son like that. I just didn't know he had capacity for so much evil. What a legacy to leave after the heroics of Gideon. And so this conflict to maintain his power and his possession, he's willing to murder a thousand people to achieve that. And some people are willing to pay any price. And here are some of the character traits of Abimelech and his men that are reflections and manifestations of pride. Proud people attempt to maintain control of their positions, power, and prestige, and anything else. And they use anger, revenge, betrayal, deceit, jealousy, and murder. All those are aspects Zebel, who was his, sort of his lieutenant in Shechem, and Abimelech. Those are the character traits. If I have an anger problem, I don't have so much an anger problem as I have a pride problem. If I have a revenge problem, it may not be so much what they did to me, but what I am doing to myself and my inability to recognize the pride that says I won't let it go. I won't release them. And so these are the These are the manifestations of pride. And God says, I want to root out the source of the problem, not just the manifestation of them. I don't want to get rid of just the symptoms of your problems. I want to get rid of the root of your problem. It's pride. I'll show you how to do that in a moment. But let me sum up with this. God will judge pride. He will do that. And what's one of the lessons that we take away from this? His judgment may be delayed as it was for three years, but it was never denied. His judgment also is that he is keeping an account. He keeps control of what's happening. Here's what happened in verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes. He's never quite satisfied. Proud people are never quite satisfied. So he took Shechem. I'm going to go to the next town. I'm going to take them as well. And he camped around Thebes and he captured it. But there was a strong tower in the center of the city and all the men and women with the elders of the city fled there and shut themselves in it and they went up to the roof of the tower. Now Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it. Again, same routine as in Shechem. And he fought against it and approached the entrance of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman, to be unnamed, threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head crushing his soul, his skull. Then he called quickly to the young men, his armor-bearer, and said to them, Draw your sword and kill me, so that it will not be said of me, A woman slew him. So the young man pierced him through, and he died. Just a coincidence that a woman on the top of the tower just happened to have a millstone just standing by, 
just happened to throw it off the tower and it just happened to crush Abimelech's skull. And then he says, I don't want anybody to know that a woman killed me. And here we are 1,400 years later talking about a woman killed Abimelech. And this brings me to the fourth P, and I've got the five P's of pride. The three are the position, possessions, and power. And here's the fourth P of pride. When my value is based upon prestige, how I want others to view me. I want them to think of me in a certain way that's noble and good and and successful. Well, his prestige, even in death, he says to his armor bearer, you kill me because I am so caught up with my own prestige and how people feel about me that I don't want them to think that I died by the hand of a woman. That's a lot of pride. And so he takes his life. And it says in verse 57, And God returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads, and the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam, came upon them. And verse 56, And God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech. God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech. It took years, but God reveals to us that He keeps track. He keeps a score. He monitors. He is aware We may think we're getting away with it, and maybe some of us are. And then there are those that are willing to say, you know what, I want to change. Let me show you something I put together, and this is why I mentioned early on about the outline. If you don't have one of these, you can rust back there and get one of these, because I want us to spend a little time looking this through. And what we see on the digging deeper that we often have, and don't often go through it in great detail, but let me just summarize this, because I don't want to leave us with this sense like, oh, pride is such a terrible thing, and I'm... I hope I don't have it. But when you go through, and I just thought, what are some of the things that are in a positive way that moves me from pride into the humility that God wants for all of us? You notice on the top of the Digging Deeper, it says, will you surrender yourself in humility under God's power? Will you trust Him to care for you? This great verse of 1 Peter says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Proud people can't release. We need to hold on to. We need to somehow think this is what I've achieved. And and I can't surrender to God. I, I can't give up what I've achieved. I can't give up my life. I can't give it all to God. My possessions, that's what I've acquired. That's what I worked hard to attain. I have to give that all to God? Are you kidding me? I just have to surrender my life to the Lord. I have to take everything that I think was a value that somehow reflected good on me and say, God, I surrender it all to you that He may exalt you at the proper time. You see, there is a plus, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Some of us want to be exalted now. God says, there would be a day, and I will do that. The second thing I notice about this is learn and live the traits of humility in Jesus. And you can read under Philippians 2. I just took some of those passages there. Do you regard others as more important than yourself? That's really hard for us. Because we want to think about what we want to say in response to what someone else is saying. We don't want to hear them. One of the great examples of that in our church, and we don't often like to uh, acknowledge people because then you are overlooking someone else. But we have a couple from our church who are moving away this coming week. And they are Joe and Helen France. They're first hour people. Second hour, Joe's right on the other side of that wall. And if you've got a little baby uh, up to one or two or so, Joe is probably helping your little child. Because Joe France and Helen France have been faithful 
servants here at Calvary Church. Joe France, and he's, he's, he's older than me, so you know, he's got to be up there, right? So Joe is over there, and he's on his knees, and he's down playing with the little kids. Age is not an issue. And he's serving the Lord and faithfully doing that in the nursery. He comes on Wednesday nights, and he and Helen are there to welcome and host our Alpha course. He comes Thursday mornings, and he helps moms and mores, and he takes the babies, and he cares for them. And uh, Paul has often tried to pay him for that. He says, no, I don't want any money for this. I just love to come and serve. He's one of those that goes to the widows' homes. I've been to some of the widows in some of our man days where we do work projects. I was on one of the widows' homes where he was. And he came back and we looked and she said, can you do something about the juniper trees? And they go up, these juniper, these tall green things that go up to be like 50 feet higher than the telephone lines. Well, Joe comes back and I looked at that. I said, oh, there's no way I'm doing that. That would be exhausting. <laughs> Joe comes back the next week. He's got his chainsaw and he's got his clippers. And he's cutting down, there must have been seven or eight of them. And he cuts them down to half the height walking on her wall along Santa Clara Avenue over here. She's now with the Lord, but that's Joe. And there's other ways that he goes to so many... We need people to come alongside and take up the place of a Joe France and a Helen France who goes out of their way to help the widows in our church. And he doesn't want the notoriety. I said it, and he was sitting over here, and he had his head down and says, Oh, Dave, please stop talking. But that's Joe France, not looking for anything for himself. You know what Calvary Church is to Joe France? It's a place to humbly come and serve others. Looking out not for himself, but as Philippians says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's the antidote to pride. I want to encourage you to read through that. The next section is are you on number three, suffering painful conflict because of your own pride? Will you turn from deceit and lies to live in integrity and truth? Will you turn from anger to love and acceptance of others? Will you turn from revenge and resentment to forgiveness of others? And then will you admit that God has the final say in judging all pride? Abimelech paid for his own sin of pride. It says, the blood of the 70 was put on Abimelech. And then God at the very end says, I have repaid Abimelech for his own pride. We can pay for our own sins or we can let someone else pay for it for us in our place. And that's the person of Jesus. And that's why I put on here that will you let Jesus Christ pay the price of that judgment for you to find peace with God and quote Romans 5. Will you let Jesus take the punishment by confessing, Lord, I'm a proud person. I get angry. I have revenge. I've got a bad attitude. I'm very selfish. I'm deceitful. I lie. I live a lie. I pretend so that others think I'm better than I am. Will you take all that rooted in pride? Say, God, set me free. Let me find peace with you. Let me find peace with my wife, my husband, my children, my parents, my neighbors, my partners at work, my classmates. Let me find peace by surrendering all that I have, my rights. I surrender it all to you. Let me encourage you to read through that. I'm going to invite in fact, the band to come on up here. They're going to play a little bit. And before we come to the tables, I'm going to stay up here for just a moment. Let me invite you to read through that and just ask the Spirit of God, direct me, Lord, is there something about this that you need to work on in my life? Are there aspects of the life of humility and selflessness that I need to acquire more of 
so that I can be in your service, not service to myself. So as the music is played, would you just spend a few quiet moments reflecting, considering, praying, and ask God. God wants us to be set free from that more than even we want it. Bring it to my mind, Lord, that I could change. And then I'll close in a word of prayer. opportunity to continue to reflect and as we continue to worship we have the tables that are here the communion the bread and the cup those are symbols of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ if you have a relationship with Christ where he is your savior then come and enjoy communion say Lord as you emptied yourself and you humbled yourself I take these elements in remembrance of that great sacrifice that you took the judgment for my sins for me if you have yet to believe in Jesus to let Him take the judgment for your sins, whatever they may be, all the wrongdoings and failings where you just have it measured up, you can let Jesus take any judgment, any payment. Let God pay for it for you in your place. And we'd love to pray with you and help make that happen. We have the offering buckets. The offering is not something we're asking from you. It's something, something that says, I want to surrender everything. So God owns all that I have. And out of that, I give. I give. No guilt. I just give out of that which God has given to me because I've surrendered all that I have to Him. So we give in response and a worship. Say, Lord, this is yours. And with joy, I bring it to you and thank you. Thank you for the blessing of what you have given to me. So we're going to go into worship. You can come and respond there, pray, reflect. But if you'd like to pray with someone, I'm going to go over right over here and there'll be some other people over here at the prayer point. There's some way we can come alongside and just let God minister to your heart wherever you're at, whatever the struggle, whatever the word of praise and thanksgiving. We'd love to partner with you and let God bless you and provide for you whatever that need may be. We'd love to bring it to God because as it says in 1 Peter, we surrender under the mighty hand of God. He cares for you. Let Him care for you today. Let's worship together. I'll be over here.